Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship. And the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Just a little warning before we start this episode. My language in this episode is a little more explicit than normal. And I think it was just because it's kind of how I talk and I was more passionate about this topic. So if you're worried about little ears, please use headphones. Don't listen to this, you know, on full blast in your minivan full of kids. Enjoy the episode. Hi, hey, hello, Lindsay here. I am super excited about today's episode. It's going to be a little different in that I'm going to be discussing maybe bigger ideas or themes and patterns, and there won't be as much how to advice, but there still will be some and it will likely be at the end. So if you're like hanging on, waiting, and you're like, come on, Lindsay, tell me the how to, I'll get there, I promise. But the why and the how come on this topic is just as important as the implementing and the implementing really needs to be like tweaked and fine-tuned and so that it meets your family's needs, your needs, and your child's needs. So just wanted to give you a little heads up there and the topic is how to be kind but not nice, and how to raise kind kids but not nice kids. And I will tell you what I mean and where this came from. So I had been marinating on podcast ideas because I'm not a planner. I am not someone that Paige is a, does a really good job of like planning things out and keeping me in check. And that's why we work so well together. But naturally on my own, I literally just am like, what am I going to do this week? And I just do it. Um, and that's been great so far, but I've kind of run out of ideas sometimes. And so I was thinking of a topic and I just kind of wrote my to-do list, figure out a topic and I just wait and it kind of comes to me. And that's part of my human design stuff too, is like, I know I need a topic. And if I put it on my to-do list, it will magically drop into my head. And that is exactly what happened here. So yesterday, no, mm -mm, Sunday, it's Tuesday, sorry. We were up at this cabin, this beautiful cabin my grandpa um, owns, and it's up in Oakley, Utah, right on the Weber River. And my kids were, my girls were looking out over the river, and I I snapped a picture of them, and they are wearing these shirts that I bought them from uh, Cayenne Firm. It's a small business. Go support them. And it said, it's the Kind Kids Club. Shirts are super cute. They come with uh, these little postcards that, like, tell you to, like, do a kind deed for someone. They give you ideas of things that you can, like, good deeds you can do. So, and I've been working a lot on my own people pleasing and not wanting my kids to be people pleasers. So I'm looking at this like really beautiful picture of my two very sassy, very outspoken, non people pleaser four year olds who are also the kindest, most loving, most giving kids. Um, and I know all kids are naturally so, but it's my own kids. So of course I'm like, oh, they're so great. And uh, they're not people pleasers at all. And that is what made me think like, oh, this needs to be my topic because it's something I've been working on is not people pleasing. And lots of people say that they're people pleasers and that it's a trauma response. And it 
it is, it is, right? But we're also conditioned to be people pleasers, um, especially as females. But we're conditioned to be nice, be quiet, be agreeable, go with the flow, um, not speak our opinions about things. And I don't like living like that anymore. It's creates a lot of freaking anxiety for me. And um, I didn't really ever have the motivation to address this in myself until I became a parent, like with all things, right? Like I think I'm fine. I'm just going to raise my kids differently and they won't have to deal with this. Like I genuinely want my kids to not care what other people think, not in like a negative way, but in like a things may hurt them, but it doesn't destroy them right? Like I want them to be humans and to be kind and loving and have feelings, but I also want them to be able to brush things off and not get stuck in that. And I, a lot of like being intentional in parenting is thinking about how can I foster this thing in my kids? And I think it's something I really value and look up to in other people. And as I started realizing, like, how do I build this in my kids? I realized I have to figure out how to do it myself. And then I was like, fuck, here we go again. Because it's always something, right? It's like regulating your emotions. I've got to like learn how to do that. I've got to deal with like my shit before I can help my kids before I can show up. Like I kind of have always thought with parenting, like I can just fake it, right? Like I can just fake that. Like I didn't have this type of situation and I can just show up in that way. And then I realize it's not freaking possible because kids learn through modeling. And I don't know why I have to keep relearning that same lesson over and over with different topics in parenting. And Then it brought me back to like, maybe that's the goal of parenting. If you've ever read Conscious Parenting by Sheila Saberry, I can never say her last name. Um, That's the goal, right? We heal our kids, we heal ourselves through parenting, right? So in order to raise kids the way we want to raise them, we have to work on our own stuff. So here I am working on my people pleasing, looking out at this beautiful river. And I thought I'm going to do an episode on how to raise kids that are kind, but not nice. And because this is something I don't have naturally, it was not fostered in me as a child. Um, And I don't think it was in a lot of people my generation. I um, really admire people who give zero Fs what people think. And this is why I love Post Malone so much. I mean, we all joke about like my Post Malone obsession. He's an amazing musician, very talented. and, And he's a genuinely good person. Like there's always TikToks of him like being so kind to fans and I don't know if you saw the video of him falling on stage. So he fell on stage. He missed some songs and he put out a TikTok like, hey, I'm okay. He still went out and finished his set. Okay. But then he said, you know, there was 12 songs that you missed because I fell. And so next time we're in the area, I'm going to come back and we're going to give you a 12 song concert for free because I'm my bad. I'm sorry. I, I fell in this hole. And I was like, that is so cool. You are such a good person. And he, there's always videos of him just doing really cool, good things. But he also doesn't care a lot what other people think he and and if he does he really consciously just is who he is he has tattoos all over his face and he chooses to live in utah like he just is his weird dorky self and that i think we and he dances all funny and we all love it and that's why he's a national treasure and part of the reason i love him so much is because he seems to really have this unconditional acceptance and authenticity about who he is and he displays that for the world and so that's part of the reason i get so into the post malone situation and so i and i think that's why i'm drawn to him is because that's something i've never been able to do in my entire life and i want my kids to be able to do that but there's this like delicate balance in parenting like how do i raise 
kids that are still kind and do good things, but aren't people pleasers. And I don't know how to do that myself. So I've had to unpack some stuff. And I'm just going to give you a few examples or situations in where I've really had to unpack that. Some of them are small and subtle and some of them are a little bigger and you might relate to some or all of them. And before I get into these, I just want to preface that this is my own experience, especially speaking as a non-LDS woman living in Utah. And what I'm about to say has nothing to nothing against the people in the church or the church in general. It has to do with my own shit and my own healing that I've had to do because I grew up in this culture. So the first one is a career one. I worked at a, when I first became a therapist, I worked at this outpatient patient agency in Utah County. And part of the, um, I have a tattoo on my arm. I've had it since I was in grad school and being in Utah, um, it was always like a, Oh, do, should we cover tattoos? And I think it's a generational thing. Like feeling like you need to cover tattoos and a tattoo is a very clear sign. It's like a, I might as well have tattooed on my forearm. Hey, I am not Mormon. Like just so y'all know. Right. Um, and I think it's, the dynamic is changing, but 10 years ago it was very much this. And it was never like directly told to me, maybe it was, um, that like I needed to cover my tattoo and pretty much the message that was given to me indirectly was you need to pretend to be Mormon self-pay clinic. And they wanted these, uh, Mormon LDS. Sorry. I don't know if I'm using the right terminology. Um, these LDS mothers to trust me with their children. And here's the whole fucking problem. I didn't believe in myself enough as a therapist to say, I'm a good therapist regardless of my religion. So I'm going to sit here and pretend and like not talk about it and not be something and pretend to be something I'm not whether, and, and, and it's not like outright lying, but just like by hiding so that these people feel more comfortable with me doing my job. And as I worked longer and long, um, longer, uh, more, got more experience in the therapy field, I realized that like, I can't do that and be a good therapist. That's not, how can I help people show up as their authentic selves and have boundaries and feel good about themselves when I can't even freaking feel good about myself and just wear a short sleeve shirt? Like I wore cardigans in a hundred degree heat, nine months pregnant with Sam because I was afraid someone would figure out that I wasn't Mormon. Like looking back at that, I am like one, so proud of how far I've already come in that journey. And two, I'm so sad for that person that, that felt that she needed to do that to get clients and have an income and be a good therapist. And I have had, um, I got to the point where I was a little frustrated. And when people would ask me if I was Mormon, I wouldn't do the whole therapist thing. Like, why is that important to you? Because that's uh, what they train you to do when people ask about your religion or if you have kids or blah, blah, blah. You say, why is that important to you? And you explore that. And I get the meaning behind that. But I also, um, I don't know. Like, I just feel like sometimes more important to just like be authentic and be like, you know what? No, I'm not Mormon, but I know a lot about the LDS church. I know all the lingo. I might ask you some questions and religion doesn't, is not like a bias of my ability to be a therapist here. So I'm going to help you show up in whatever way you need to show up. And I'm going to help your child show up in whatever values they have, whether those are LDS values or not. Right. Like, and so, but I think there was this belief that I was going to poison some kids or something against their parents or who knows what. And I've actually had people fire me as a therapist because I was not LBS, right? Anyway, 
So I had to do some work there and I got a little more bold. I started showing my tattoo a little more. I started being like, hey, you know what? I'm not Mormon. If that's bad for you, like let's find you a new therapist. It's day one, right? I'm not going to do this. And then I realized like, I don't really want to have those therapeutic relationships that that that's not beneficial to the other person either. If that's something that they're really looking for, I'm not the right therapist for them. And that's cool. Then this really cool thing started happening. Once I was outed as a non-LDS therapist, I started getting requests. Do you have a non-LDS therapist? I was the only non-LDS therapist. I was like the token. And I started getting really freaking full. And I even maybe had a waiting list there. I'm not really sure. Because in even people wanted that, right? It was, it was something that was needed in the community. So I spent probably five years trying to fit into this mold, never feeling like I fit in. And, and these are people who are members of the church and it's just because maybe they want an outside perspective. It's not that they want to convert or do anything like that. They just like want an outside perspective. Um, so once I realized that I was like, actually myself, people were drawn to me and I didn't need to people please to be successful. So that's one of the big lessons I've learned. And I continue to do that in my private practice. Um, if you show up, if you are my client, I most likely am wearing leggings or joggers. I play on the floor with kids most of the time, right? And I just love to be comfortable. That's my personality. Very rarely will you catch me in like shoes that I'm not going to be wearing. Like if you see me at Costco, now I try and look presentable and professional and blah, blah, blah. But like, I'm just going to look like a normal person because that's how I am, right? And it's taken me a while to embrace that. And it's required a lot of anxiety, a lot of putting myself out there, a lot of rejection and saying, you know what? No, I'm not LDS. And if you fire me, like that, that's okay because that's what's best in this situation. And so those are a couple scenarios in which I've had to face my own people pleasing. More recently, because I felt like I had done the people pleasing work. I was like, okay, I got this with my kids. I got this. I can do this, right? Uh, No, you don't got it. There's more. So then there's these very subtle ways that I've had to recognize like people I really care about, clients I really care about, and scheduling is a good example. So someone wants an appointment that's on like it's a later appointment or I don't have time to fit them in or something. And I would work late. I would come in early. I would sacrifice like my time with my family because I didn't want them to be upset with me because I wanted them to feel comfortable. And it was like this very subtle thing. And then later, and this is in my human design, because if I don't want to do something or it doesn't feel right, I literally feel frustrated and resentful. That day would come around where I had to come in early or work late. And I would feel so resentful of not the client really, but like more at myself because I knew what I had done. Like, I don't want to be working late. I want to be doing bedtime with my kids. Those are in my values and I'm not acting in my values. And this really freaking sucks, right? And I had no one to blame but myself not my fault that I offered this time instead of just saying these are the times I have. So as I moved into more setting those boundaries, it's gotten a little better. And now I'm at the place where it's a little more about speaking my honest opinion and not being afraid to have people judge me and showing up in a way that is authentic and genuine and sharing my knowledge and my opinions specifically on parenting usually. Um, and, and trusting in my own knowledge or knowing that like I have something to contribute to, which sounds insane. I've been a therapist for 10 years and there are times where people on TikTok and they say that like my approach of parenting is what is wrong with the world or why there's entitled kids. And I know that's not freaking true. And I know that's the common response of like a boomer scrolling TikTok who's never had anyone hold space for their feelings in their entire life, right? Like I get that, but it still triggers me and I still feel the need to people please them and explain to them why 
and that I still hold kids accountable and make them see like that I'm not the reason that there's a generation of entitled kids out there, which I'm never going to convince them of that. So that's what I'm currently working on. And how this has translated into my parenting is that I am seeing these times where we condition our kids and maybe I was conditioned as a kid because we're taught to be polite, kind, nice, and not speak our mind. Um, Specifically when it comes to maybe food. Let me give you an example. Um, We were, we were somewhere and someone had made these beans. They were delicious beans. So delicious. And um, one of my kids took a bite and they're like, these are so gross. And I was like, oh, we don't say that in front of people. Right. Um, And it's one of those like, okay, how do I, I don't want her to lie and say that she likes them, but I don't want her to be a jerk either. And so I had to, like, later I pulled her aside and I just say, you don't have to eat them. You just don't have to say anything. You try to bite, that's fine. Just, like, don't eat them. You don't have to be like, ah, that's gross. Um, But I want her to feel, I don't want her to feel like she has to eat something that she doesn't like genuinely. And she did try it because someone's feelings might be hurt about it. Like, it's okay to say, hey, that's not for me, right? And so... This is where I feel like it gets really tricky in parenting is these really small incidents where we ask our kids to people please or deny themselves and then they become adults who are like me, maybe less intensely, maybe more intensely, and they can't say, you know what, I really don't agree with that or we think differently about this and that's okay or I mean, excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom off a plane. So I had a client one time who was so worried about what other people around her thought and other people being annoyed with her that she would literally hold her bladder on a plane because she didn't want to inconvenience people around them. And I have, I've done the same thing. If I have to get up at a concert or a game and walk past people, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What? I'm sorry for being human. I'm sorry for needing a snack. I'm sorry I have to pee. Yeah. Excuse me. Maybe might be a better way to say it, but like, I'm so sorry. No, like that. that's kind of the unspoken rule of like what happens when you go to these events or we are on a plane and they're seating. And so I've had to really unpack these things in myself and notice how I show up in ways that I people please and sit with and where the work comes in. The work, the awareness is good, right? It's good to know like those situations, but the work is when you don't people please. So you're aware this is a situation where I would normally people please. Like I'll use the plane example. You have to pee on a plane and it's maybe the third time you had to pee because you're Lindsay and you have a mom bladder and you, I mean, my bladder's weak. Everyone who knows me knows this. So sorry, long flight, had to pee again. And instead of holding my bladder, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to the bathroom. And then instead of over apologizing, like I normally would, I would say, oh, excuse me. And I'd probably make a joke to like lighten the tension. Like, oh gosh, I got a mom bladder. I got three kids. I don't know what I said before that because my bladder's always been this bad, but I probably made a joke because that's how I lighten the mood, right? And then, so I still do what I need to do. I say, excuse me, instead of apologizing. But then I have to sit with this anxiety that these two strangers that I'm never going to see again hate me and think I'm the worst person in the world because I've had to go pee so many times. And that's the hard part, right? That's the part that we have to do as parents so that we can teach our kids how to do it. 
And, um, I work, I'm close with a few OCD therapists. Um, and I don't know why, maybe they're just attracted to me. Maybe it's cause I need them. <laughs> they do this thing in OCD, uh, treatment called exposure therapy. And it's where you expose yourself to things that you are afraid of. So I'm afraid of birds. So my first, you know, exposure would be to like, maybe look up birds online, look at them. And they do people pleasing exposures too, like giving someone criticism and things like that. And then you slowly get to like the thing. So maybe my thing would be like hugging a turkey, which you'll never catch me doing. But, um, and, and you sit with the anxiety and you use the skills during the anxiety to help you move through that. And then eventually your nervous system and your brain realize that like, Hey, the anxiety is bad, but it will pass and things don't usually turn out so bad. So it's okay. That's the whole point. Okay. So you like decrease the amount of anxiety that it creates in your body. You can do this with people pleasing too. And they do do this in OCD treatment because there are like chronic people pleasers with OCD. And so it might be that you give someone criticism. You set a boundary. Maybe I tell a client like, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I am booked out a month and I just stick to that. And I sit with the anxiety that they'll never come back and that they hate me. And then I realize normally they're totally cool with it and it works out. Right. Or here's another one that comes up for therapists. I have to charge you a cancellation fee. Oh, talking about money as a therapist is hard, right? Because you have these really deep relationships with people and you understand them on a deep level, but then you have to have these really tough conversations about money. And so the more you do the thing, right, regardless of the anxiety and you sit with the anxiety, the easier it gets. And then you can teach your kids to do the same thing. Here's the thing though, I've realized with kids, most kids don't naturally have that anxiety. My four-year-olds walk around telling me what they think, what they feel. They're not afraid to say like, hey mom, this dinner is terrible. My One of my daughters told me the other day, and she's not even the sassiest one. She told me that grandma has better food than me. And I was like, okay, cool, right? Part of that was that like, as a parent, I need to not have my own emotional reaction in that and say something like, oh, that's not nice. You don't say that. Or that really hurt my feelings, right? And I grew up in a home where... And around people who I had to be really careful what I said and how I said it because everything, my tone, everything would hurt my mom's feelings. And so I wasn't able, <coughs> sorry, um, to like express like if I didn't like something or if maybe a gift I didn't like or anything. I didn't feel like I could express anything that didn't agree with her, right? And the more I'm like unpacking that, I see that coming out in my day-to-day life. Whereas kids naturally... They just tell it how it is. So really all we have to do to not raise people, please our kids is to just let them be freaking kids, right? So now we're going to come full circle. The hardest part though is how do we teach them to be kind, socially appropriate, and nice? I'm sorry, not nice. We don't want them to be nice. Kind and socially appropriate, giving, loving, little human beings. The other thing I've realized is that kids naturally do this. If one, it's something that's naturally done in your family, but two, you give them the space to do it in a way that feels really good for them and really genuine to who they are. And we're not forcing them to be kind um, or do things for others out of obligation, right? Obligation is where we get into the people pleasing because then we're doing all sorts of things out of obligation and nothing out of genuine desire to like be a good person, times this comes up that I get asked about a lot is apologizing and sharing. And there's a lot of people out there that like don't force their kids to share. 
because they don't want them to do it out of obligation or feel like they have to have their boundaries walked on. Um, and it's not in a mean way, right? Like I get the point behind it. And this is what I do with my kids. When you're done with that or when she's done with that, then you can have a turn. But I don't say you need to share right now or you need to share all the time, right? If someone, if a, a stranger walked up to me and was like, can I have some of your French fries? I'd probably be like, no, that's gross. There's germs, right? I might say yes if I really wanted to. Or I might say, well, let me eat what I want and then you can have the rest, right? And we want to teach our kids to be like that a little bit. And kids naturally will do this if we give them the space and we don't force them to do things out of obligation. Another example I have um, with my own kids. And I don't want you to think my own kids. My kids are super opinionated, sassy, and they can be little jerks sometimes. So when I use these examples, it's because they've recently happened in my own life, not because I think I'm doing like this amazing job at parenting. I'm just fucking winging it like you too. Um, my girls, um, when they sleep at my mother-in-law's, um, during nap time, she watches them two days a week during nap time. They, um, they used to sleep in my mother-in-law's bed together. They go in there, they take their nap. Um, and one of them really likes to sleep separate. They're projectors if you're into human design, which means they don't do well in other energy. So they've always had separate cribs and separate beds. And I always thought that was kind of funny for twins until I learned that they're projectors. I'm like, yeah, they don't like energy in there. Um, anyone else's energy. But one of them gets kind of scared being alone. And so as they've gotten older, one has really, really wanted to sleep in the guest room in the bed because she wants her own bed. She wants her own space during nap time at grandma's house. And so my mother-in-law tells me, she's like, you know what? They figured this out on their own, but Ella lays in there with Ava until she falls asleep. And then she gets up and goes and gets in her own bed. And I was like, I freaking love this. Because one, they came to that on their own. Ella did that out of her the kindness of her own heart. No one told her, you need to lay in here with your sister because she gets scared, right? And no one told Ava, you need to just be scared. It's something that Ella came to on her own because she loves and cares about her sister, right? But she's also honoring her own boundaries. She didn't just say, I'm going to suck it up and we're just going to nap together. She said, no, this is the plan. I'll wait for you to fall asleep and then I'll go and get my own bed. So I still have my own space and my own nap. And you still, and because I love you and care about you, this is what I'm willing to do. And it works out perfectly. And they did that on their own because as parents and caregivers, we I, we stepped out of their way and we let them figure it out. Now, sometimes they need guiding and options. So this is my first tip. Empathy and understanding for others. Talk about what others might be feeling and experiencing, how we can help others if we want to help others, what that feels like and how it feels good. So I made sure to praise Ella for doing that because it was so kind and because it felt right for her. Something I ask my kids a lot when we're about to apologize or when they, I don't force my kids to apologize, but I do say like if they hurt someone, I say, what do you think is a good way to show up for this person? What do you think we can do for this person, if anything? And a lot of times they will say apologize and they apologize on their own. But it could be like if someone they know is sad or having a hard time at school, what can we do for this person? And then they come to the ideas on their own and they come up with things that are good and feel true to them. And so it's authentic in the way that they're showing up. They're not showing up out of obligation. They're showing up in a way that feels good for them. And so they're not denying themselves of like what they really want. And it's genuine. And people generally receive help better when they feel like it's genuine too. Like 
I know when someone's texting me and saying, can I bring you a meal or what can I do when it's out of obligation and it feels icky for me. Like I don't want it because it feels so dang icky. And it's not that they're being nice, that's fine. But I can tell it's an obligation thing and not a genuine want. I know the people, and you know this too, think of your life. You know the friends who are in your life because they want to be and because they're showing up because they actually love you and care about you for who you are versus like an obligation situation. So we can teach them to have empathy and understanding for others and have them come up with their own ideas for how to show up. Now, as far as being nice, quote unquote, in public, this is something I'm really working on with a bunch of uncensored four-year-olds and a seven-year-old who's neurodivergent. And that is sometimes we don't just say the first thing that comes to our head. It's okay if we don't like the beans or it's okay if we think that this kid is annoying, but we're not going to say that in front of them because it might hurt their feelings, right? So what I've done is I've said, okay, we don't want to say things to people that we feel may hurt their feelings or would make them sad. So before you say something in public to someone, I want you to ask yourself how you would feel if someone said that to you or about you. So they can usually like get that far, right? And then I say, okay, if it's something that you feel like, okay, this kid right here is really annoying and I don't want to play with him, but I don't know how to navigate that. And I didn't use the word navigate. I said, if, if you don't know how to deal with that, come and talk to me. Because usually they're around people who trust them. So I've I've helped them figure out that they need to come to me and say like, okay, this, this is what's happening. And so they can express the feeling with me. And I can say, okay, what can we do about this? And they can think of a way that is still kind, but speaks their truth, right? And this is another one. Your friend, your kids don't have to want to play with everybody and not everybody's going to want to play with them. I know it's hard. It sucks. And I've gone through the same thing where people don't like my kid and it breaks my heart. But also what I realized breaks my heart more than it breaks my kid's heart. He doesn't care. Right. Or in the situation with Sam, he didn't care. And there might be a time where he would care and that would be sad and hard. But also I'm sure that there are people that he doesn't enjoy or choose to play with either. And helping them find the language to say those things in a kind way. You know, I really don't want to play um, cars today. I'm going to go play this. Or I really just want some alone time right now. Helping them speak their needs and wants in a respectful and kind way. and, And teaching them that they don't have to say yes to everything just because a friend wants to do it. So if they have a friend over or they're with a friend and the friend wants to play a a certain board game, right? Now, the way we kind of do this in our house is we can, because I have a lot of kids and I have like nephews and nieces that come over is um, when someone's our guest, they get the first turn to pick. So, and they know that that's the kind thing to do, right? So if, um, say my nephew comes over and he wants to have a Nerf War, he often does. And only one of my girls really wants to do that usually. And Sam. So they get to choose whether they participate in that, but that's his first pick. So then the other one has to go find something to do on their own. They don't have to be involved in it, but they still need to be kind and let him have the first choice because he is the guest. And then when it's their turn, they get to pick and everyone else gets to decide if they want to participate. Now, most of the time, what ends up happening is the the outsider sees everyone having fun and she joins in and it's fine. But 
It's this way of expressing needs and wants in a, a kind and respectful way, but also acknowledging that there's going to be people that don't like you. There's going to be times where friends want to do this thing and you don't want to do that. And sometimes maybe you will have to do that, but then you get a turn. And being able to genuinely share what they want. So my second tip was helping them speak their needs in a respectful and kind way. This also includes like thoughts, feelings, and opinions. This is something that we as adults really freaking struggle with. And that is like not wanting to offend anyone, not wanting to say anything the wrong way, not wanting to even ask questions because we're afraid to offend someone. So the best thing we can do for our kids is teach them how to do these things, how to navigate these situations rather than just being agreeable. And I think the part where most parents get caught up in this is we want our kids to be liked and we want them to to be nice, right? And so flipping the focus of your family from being nice to being kind. How can we be kind and act in a way that aligns with our values as a family and your own individual values and help others, um, but also not sacrifice ourselves? And this brings us to my third and most important takeaway or tip, and that is allowing boundaries in the home, right? So being allowing your kids to say no, to you. And this one is one that as my people pleaser self, I'm like, oh, so many people are going to come back at me on this. Right. And it's not, it's not in a way that means they get to choose whatever they want to do, but I want kids to be able to express what they are thinking, feeling why they don't want to do something. Right. So if I tell my child that it's time to go brush their teeth and they tell me no, that's clearly probably very uncomfortable for me. I'm frustrated. I want them to just go brush their freaking teeth so I don't have to pay to have another cavity filled and I want them to go to bed because I'm tired, okay? Um, in that moment, it might look like you don't get to say no to me. I'm the parent or the child. Um, those are things I heard a lot as a kid growing up. Um, and so I'm those are things sometimes that just like freaking come out of my mouth or because I said so. And I'm like, oh shit, I need to do something about that. Right. Because that's not how I show up as a parent. And that's not typically how I want to show up, but it's kind of just this conditioning that we have. Right. And so sometimes when a kid says no, I'll say, why not? So, um, the other night we were trying to get Ava in bed and, um, she wouldn't go get in bed and she said no. And I said, okay, well, why not? And she said, well, because I want to step and want to show. And I said, okay, I get that, but it's past your bedtime and I want you to be well rested tomorrow. And she was like, okay. And, but then she said, well, no one's coming to tuck me in. So I was like, okay. She's like, no, go, go lay in bed and we'll come tuck you in. And she's like, no. Okay. Why? Because I'm worried that you won't get up and come tuck me in. So like we were able to figure out why and I was able to address that rather than just like fighting with her and forcing her to just go get in bed. Now, sometimes you'll answer the question and you'll ask them why and get to the bottom of it. And it's that they just don't want to do something. And the answer might be, hey, sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do. So I can hold your hand and walk you to bed or I can carry you to bed. 
both of these are done in a very loving way and you still tuck them in, you still do the same thing, but they're still allowed to express their thoughts and feelings and opinions about it. So them saying no doesn't mean that they don't have to do the thing that they don't want to do. It just means that they get to say like, hey, this is my boundary, right? And you try everything possible to not force them into that. But sometimes that doesn't work and you have to because parenting is parenting, right? In addition to allowing them to say no, we also need to have our own boundaries and enforce them with our kids. So that means like that when I am, when I ask my kids not to climb on me, that's a boundary I have, right? So I will say, please don't climb on me right now. I need a minute and they will keep trying to climb on me and I will have to say, okay, the boundary is that like I asked you not to climb on me. And so I have to either get up and move or I gently move them off of me. So modeling boundaries, but also being and allowing them to have their own boundaries if they don't like to be tickled, if they don't like a certain way of doing things um, within reason. I know there's certain things we have to do as parents for like health and safety, but allowing them their own boundaries and allowing them to set boundaries with us. And boundaries don't always have to be these firm, rigid things, but it can be but it can be as simple as I don't want a hug today or, you know, just small things like that. So just to recap the three implementable, I don't think that's a word, but I'm going with it, tips that you can use to help your kids be kind, but not nice. You want them, you want to build empathy and understanding for others by talking about it in your life and really by like living it, by showing that you understand other people's perspectives, where they are coming from and allowing them to act in a way that feels good for them. The second thing is teaching them to speak their opinions in a respectful way, but still being honest about their opinion and feeling free to say what they actually think and feel. And the third is teaching them about boundaries, how to have them, how to keep them, all of those things. So I hope this episode was helpful for you, especially if you are on a people-pleasing recovery journey like myself as a gift for everyone who made it this far. I have made a Post Malone hype playlist that I'm going to link in the show notes that it's some songs about just not giving enough what people think um, because that's Post Malone's vibe. But also I included my other favorite Post Malone songs because it wasn't going to be long enough. So all my favorite Post Malone songs and some hype ones. You can listen to that in the show notes as my gift to you for making it this far. We will see you next week. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.